Okay, this morning you can open up to Luke's gospel. And uh, we're in Luke chapter 11, chapter by chapter through the whole Bible. And uh, uh, this morning we're looking at 22 verses. So uh, last week we looked at four verses. The week before, you're like, yeah, I remember one verse in our journey through the whole Bible. Okay, so we're putting the pedal, the metal to the pedal. We're going a little faster on this uh, section, but we're calling it Inside Out. And uh, it's an interesting thing what we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus address religion. And the, the Jewish leaders were leading religion that was imposing outward behavior. But, you know, religion is, it's what we do outward, and usually there's very little that reaches inward and is truly changing inward. But we're going to read about the work that Jesus does in our life. It's the opposite. It starts on the inside, then it changes everything on the outside. So we'll read about uh, that, too, as we go through the chapter. Let's look at it. Luke eleven thirty three. No, Have you heard this before? No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place. Right? You don't light a lamp and, and hide it. And, of course, uh, Jesus has taught this um, on the Sermon on the Mount. He taught in uh, Matthew 5 that we, we don't light a lamp and hide it. You don't light, light a lamp and put it under, under a basket. You don't light a lamp, and uh, in, earlier in our book, 816, he said, you don't put it under a bed. And uh, other times he taught, he said, you know, a city on a hillside, and Jesus would have pointed up to that first century city, Safad, that when you're in the Sea of Galilee area, you, everywhere you are, you can see Safad up on top of the hill. You, you can't hide a city up on a hillside. We're not, we're not supposed to hide our lives, lives our light. We're not supposed to live secret lives, but right, our, our light's supposed to be on display. People in darkness need that light. And um, now, interesting here, he's not talking about us being the light. Where other places he said, let your light so shine before men that they'll see, this is interesting, that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let, let your light shine. Man, be full of good works that people see your good works. That'll be your light, and they'll glorify your, your Father in heaven. But here, Jesus is actually uh, talking about the fact that he's the light of the world. He's the light that's shining among the dark Jewish leaders, the, the dark Jew generation that was rejecting him. And we see him say um, in John 8, 12, we'll just pull it up on the overheads. Jesus says that not only are we to be the light of the world, but he says, I'm the light of the world. He, he's actually the source of light. We're a reflection of his light. If we're not spending time in his presence, we don't reflect very much light. But when we're intimate with him and close to him, that light reflects. But here he says, I'm the light of the world. And I wonder if, if that describes you, he who follows me. Are you a, a follower of Jesus? Some are here. Some are tr true followers. The Bible talks about, a lot about those who are not true followers. Every week uh, there are followers of Jesus that at, are at church, but they're not true followers. Because a true follower, Jesus says, will not walk in darkness. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all uh, stumble and trip into dark things that we shouldn't uh, stumble and trip into. But this is talking about walking a lifestyle. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going to live a lifestyle of darkness. Or, or, or some, it's, something's wrong if you are living a lifestyle of darkness. But you'll have the light of life. There'll just be this life from Jesus. And you'll, there'll be light coming forth from your life if you're a follower, not, uh, not in darkness. So then we read another uh, passage that I think is good to read as we're going into this chapter. It's in John 3. And most of us know John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, he gave his son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And, and God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. You probably know that passage, John 3, 16, 17, 18. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus doesn't condemn you. He came to save you. Right? A lot of people feel so condemned all the time, but this is the condemnation. 
Jesus says, that the light has come into the world. That's Jesus. That's, that's what we're reading about. The light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's what's happening in Jesus' day. Men didn't want to, the leaders didn't want to turn from their darkness, their evil deeds. For everyone practicing evil, this is how our chapter is going to end today. They hate the light. We're going to see the Jewish leaders, instead of uh, their darkness being exposed, they're going to start turning on Jesus, and, and this hatred is going to rise up for him. Everyone practicing evil, that's a lifestyle, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So that, that's interesting that for a lot of people, it's not an issue of there being enough evidence. Some people that genuinely is what's going on. They're really wrestling with things and they just, they need proof to prove to them that uh, putting faith in Jesus is the logical conclusion to who he is and what he said. And some people have to wrestle with the truth and the, it is an issue of, of evidence, evidence that demands a verdict. But this is, this uh, shines light for some people. It's not an issue of evidence. They just don't want to stop living with their girlfriend. They just don't want to stop having sex outside of marriage. They just don't want to stop viewing pornography. They just don't want to stop smoking pot or getting high. Or they just don't want to give up their dark lifestyle. And that's really what the, the issue is. And that's what Jesus says here. And, and that leaves them condemned. Well, as we read our, our chapter, Luke 11, we read the next verse, Luke eleven thirty four, 34. The lamp of the body is the eye. And therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. If you have a good eye and you, you see Jesus and you listen to him, he's the light of the world, your eye's like a lamp. If you receive that, that light will just fill your whole body with light. If, if you have a good eye, these that Jesus was interacting with, we saw it last week too. No matter how much they saw, they wouldn't believe. And, and we saw how um, Jesus said the Queen of Sheba in the Old Testament, she traveled 1,200 miles and came to see Solomon, and she came and she believed. She heard and she believed. But the Jewish people that were right there and one greater than Solomon, Jesus was in their midst, but they, they wouldn't believe. They had a bad eye. When your, your eye is bad, your whole body also is full of darkness, and people just go on living in their dark life. And verse 35, therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. So this would be the, those religious people that uh, they think that because they're religious, that, that that's light. But uh, if your eye is evil towards Jesus, uh, the reality is that you're, you're living in darkness. And you may think you're, you have religious light, but take heed, Jesus says, that that light which is in you, you, you may think the light of religion is is light, but in reality, if you're saying no to Jesus, you're living in darkness. And verse 36, if then your whole body is full of light, right? That's the good eye. Good eye, you see Jesus favorably, you accept who he is, your eye's the lamp, and you receive Jesus, and his word and his life is just like light coming through the lamp and giving light to your whole body. If your whole body's full of light, having no part dark. So that's the work that Jesus does when it, you're a true follower. There's no hidden rooms. There's no hidden behavior. There's no secret life that's in darkness. Church, church is filled with people, uh, even people sometimes in ministry that the, all of a sudden it becomes exposed, the dark life they were living. They weren't being a true follower of Jesus because there was this whole other dark life that they're living. But Jesus wants to do a work where nothing's off limits and there's nothing dark. You may stumble, you may trip, and we're going to read about that in a minute, but, but you come into the light. And, and the Lord does that work where the whole body is full of light. And I love this as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. This, this bright, that's what the Lord wants us to be, these bright shining lights. 
Like everywhere you go, whether you go play tennis with friends or whether you go to the store or whether you're at work or whether you're at family gatherings, that's the Lord wants us to be these bright lights, the, the life of Jesus in us. And um, I, I can't read about a bright and shining light without thinking of John the Baptist. I love this verse. We'll, we'll pull it up. I don't know if you know this verse. I, I always have loved this verse of John the Baptist. He was the burning and shining lamp. And that's what Jesus is saying he wants to do in our lives. If your whole, whole life is full of light, your whole body full of light, you're going to be this bright and shining lamp. Well, that was John. He was a burning, and whenever I read this, for years, I've, whenever I've read this in my, my regular reading, I always pray that, Lord, I want to be that. Could you make me a burning and shining lamp? And you know what an interesting thing is about the body of Christ is none of our lights are exactly the same. That's what's so beautiful about the body of Christ. The glory of God, when he's filling our lives, it shines through each of us with a different rainbow, so to speak, a different, different hues of light, different colors. Same God, same gift, perhaps, but each one, this beautiful light. And I've often thought of the way the light shines through the different ones of us in these bright and shining uh, ways. It unlocks others. It enables others to see, like if all they're seeing is my light, they're just like, yep, no, I don't see it. But once the Lord starts to move through you, then they're like, wow, because of her, because of them, I, I can see. And the Lord does this uh, work. I, I love this about John, that uh, the Jewish people were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. And, I, I know, you know, the Bible talks so much about light. See if we can't just look at one more passage, because this is now John. And at the end of John's life, you know, people at the end of their life seem to speak with a lot of clarity a lot of times, especially if they've walked with God their entire life. And John is an older man, and uh, he's a leader in the church, and he just speaks kind of no-nonsense talk. Maybe you're a person that appreciates that when someone is just like, no nonsense. I'm just going to tell it as it is. And listen to John, 1 John 1, 5, as he talks about God is light. And in him, there's kind of a lot of the same things we've been reading. In him, there's no darkness at all. If he does the work in us, there won't be darkness that we're practicing. But if we say, so John became aware of this. A lot of people in the church that say one thing, but then they're living something else. There's always been people in the church that they say, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we're actually then walking in darkness, well, that you're living a lie. That's, we lie, in the, and we're not practicing the truth. So for, we learn from John that it is possible, we, we get confronted with, it is possible that I can be living a lie. Well, how would I be living a lie if I'm practicing dark things? If I'm practicing thievery, if I'm stealing, if I'm cussing, if I'm uh, you know, involved in sex outside of marriage, if I'm before marriage, sex outside of marriage, if I'm involved in homosexual behavior, if I'm a greedy person at heart, we're going to read about this later. If, uh, you know, all of these things that, uh, you know, are going on in our life, if we're practicing that type of sinful life, then uh, John says, you know what, you're, you're living a lie. But then he says, and so full of hope, if we walk in the light, right? That's talking about practicing. If we, it's a lifestyle that I'm, I'm going to walk in the light as he's in the light. Something wonderful happens. We have fellowship with one another. If I'll be willing to bring everything into the light, I'll have fellowship with God. And the way I can have fellowship with God is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. All I got to do is come into the light. If I find myself in darkness, I just come into the light. I just bring it before the Lord. Lord, I don't want to be living a lie. I don't want to be practicing darkness. I've stumbled into this. It's got a hold on me or some reason I find myself in this darkness. And we just come in the light. And there's fellowship. And the Lord says, I got provision for you. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you of all your sin. And our whole lives, that's just a choice we make to, you know what? I'm just going to come into the light with it. 
I've messed up, I've screwed up, whatever has happened, you're always assured that there's provision. He can cleanse you of all your sin. Well, we keep reading in our chapter, as we've just taken a little bit of time to talk about the light of God. As he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with them. So the Pharisees, Pharisee means separated one. Super religious. I'm separated to God. My whole life as a leader, I'm going to be separated to God. And uh, this uh, Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And what we're going to see is uh, this was not just uh, two people sitting down at the table dining together. But this was this Pharisee opening up his house and the other religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, we'll talk about scribes in a minute, they were going to be there too. And they were asking Jesus to come eat with them. And so he went in and sat down to eat. Verse 38, and when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed his hands. He's surprised. This uh, rabbi Jesus, he sits down to eat. The, the um, religious leaders had taught that there's, it's, you have to wash before you eat. The Old Testament talks about washing, the priest washing. It talks about when there's infectious disease, how important it is to wash. Pretty remarkable in the Old Testament, these teachings. But the Jews had developed, a, a, it wasn't a biblical teaching, that before you ate, you had to wash. And you had to wash in an exact way. You had to first hold your fingertips up, and they even had come up with the measurement, a shell, an eggshell and a half of water had to be poured over each hand. And then your hands had to be turned upside down and another amount of water had to wash then everything off your fingertips if you were then able to eat, proceed to eat. And this is just one of many, 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 many things they had come with, up with. All of this outward religion. It was going to be, religion marks you on the outside. What I'm doing with my hands, the body, but it doesn't really change your heart. And um, so notice the guy doesn't say anything. He just marvels. But this is the thing we've been learning about Jesus. He, he knows what's going on in this guy's mind. And we saw that earlier in our chapter that uh, the Lord knew what they were thinking. And we were just talking about that in past weeks that, you know, when you begin to understand that the Lord always knows what you're thinking just learn to always talk to the Lord about what you're thinking. If you're lusting, if you're contemplating stealing, if there's anger in your heart, if there's slander in your heart, if there's revenge in your heart, whatever's going on, talk to, learn to talk to the Lord about it. Maybe you're getting ready to cheat on your taxes and you, you, know, you have that thought going on and then the thought goes, maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, and I am, you know, I'm a believer in God. Well, just start talking to God about that. God, should I do that? That's actually not true and I'm going to write that on my taxes. Should I just learn to talk to him? Because he sees it anyways. And so the, the, we learn, we get this uh, wonderful perspective to just live in the Lord, live with the Lord in real time as you read through the New Testament. Well, verse 39 um, we read, then the Lord said to him, so I, I know what you're thinking, so let's address it. Now, you Pharisees, so there's more than one Pharisee there, and you're going to see there's scribes there in a little bit, lawyers that are there. Then the Lord said to them, now, you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean. God is the Old Testament. God is the potter, and we're the clay cups and dishes and and uh, you focus on the outside of the clay, the outward appearance of the cup and the dish that they're clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. So you, you focus a lot on being clean, clean outwardly. It's kind of like how America, you know, maybe the last hundred years, it kind of came into the behavior of putting on your Sunday best. You know, uh, you talk to people that uh, lived uh, in the early part of the last century, and sometimes they only bathed a couple times a weekend, but you bathed before you went to church, and you put on your best clothes, and, and that's kind of like the same religious behavior. I think maybe in the Bible Belt, uh, you know, I, I passed a Mormon family today going, turning into the Mormon church, and they had all their best clothes on and tie and, and suit, and, and religion does that. You, you focus a lot on the outward behavior, but religion can't change the heart. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. You're focusing a lot on the outward, 
But, you know, God also sees the inward. And the inward, he tells them, where you're all clean, you go through all this behavior to be all clean. On the outward, on the inward, you're full of greed. And now Jesus is going to tell us the opposite of greed is being generous. And it's a question to ask myself, like, am I a greedy person? Do I hold on tight to everything? Is everything for me? And it, it's very hard for me to ever use what God has blessed me with to give to others? Am I in a constant pursuit of I've got to have more? That, that's what marks my life? Or is your life marked by generosity? Because when the Lord changes your heart, you're, you're, he wants to no longer have your life marked by greed, but he wants your life to be marked by generosity. And your life is no longer marked by wickedness, but now, now your heart is clean. No longer are evil things, hidden evil behavior going on. And by the way, you always know it's sin when you're hiding it. Whenever you're hiding, if you're hiding it from your wife, if you're hiding it from your spouse, if you're hiding it from your parents, right? If you're hiding it from the authority in your life, you always know that there's something wrong because you're hiding it. It's always a good telltale sign. But the Lord wants to do a work where the inside is generous and, and clean. Now, now, I'm not just making up those interpretations. We'll see that in a minute, that the opposite of greed is generosity. The opposite of wickedness is clean. And so verse 40, Jesus says, foolish ones. How do you think that went over? <laughs> and and, and what, what, is, is, what is Jesus doing here? Is he name-calling? No, he's grieving. He's grieved at their, their outward behavior that has nothing to do with their heart. He's sad. And this is going to set up these six woes that we're going to see. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, there's seven woes. It's sadness. It's grief. And it's even, even it reaches anger. There's such thing as righteous anger. And Jesus exp expresses anger wherever someone, we'll read this in a minute, wherever someone is hindering others from getting to him, he gets angry. That angers him. Or we don't ever want to be someone that's hindering someone else from getting to the Lord because that makes him angry. You know, when Jesus walked into the temple and, and uh, the, the, all the money changers were there, and if you were to come worship God, you came and you wanted to worship God at the temple, but you found out, what? I have to have temple coins? So I had to pay this exorbitant rate to get the temple shekel to be able to worship God, and that made Jesus angry. And you brought your animal to sacrifice it, and when you got to the temple, they go, oh, no, no, no. You don't think you're going to offer that to God. You've got to have a temple-approved offering. Yes, it costs about six times what it's worth, but it's temple-approved. And they were getting rich, and that's why Jesus turned over all those money changers' tables. He took some ropes, and he made it into a whip, and he just started snapping that whip and driving all those animals out and turning the money changers' tables over. Right? My father's house is to be a house of prayer. Wherever the people of God gather in a house, it's to be at, we're to give great attention to prayer, praying. But you've made it a den of thieves. You're ripping people off here. And so, so Jesus is not name-calling, but he's grieved, he's sad, and even he's going to become angry. Did, did not... He who made the outside make the inside. You, you give such focus on outward behavior, but you don't seem to uh, want to allow God to get to the inside where the filth is, where the wickedness is. And uh, we see this in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, a verse you probably know when it talks about David. I'll, I'll bring it up. You probably, maybe you're even thinking of this verse. I did. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance talking of David, because Samuel thought for sure it was the bigger brothers, all the big brothers. And the Lord's going, no, don't look at those big, strong brothers. Don't look at their appearance or at physical stature, for the Lord does not see as man sees. It's interesting how we see, huh? First impressions, we see the outside, but the Lord sees the heart. 
Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So um, we read on Luke 11, verse 41, but rather give alms. And giving alms just means uh, being generous to the poor. And of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. So this is the opposite of a greedy heart, of someone whose God's light has come into them and there's no darkness anymore. Their life's not marked by greed, just a constant pursuit of me getting more for myself. But your life starts to be marked by generosity. Give, giving to the poor, giving to others, uh, giving to God. God begins to do a work where you're, you're not holding on to what's yours, but you're, you realize everything I have is from the Lord, and you become generous with it. And, and you aren't, there aren't hidden, wicked, evil, filthy parts of your life, but God does a work in you where you're clean on the inside. He cleans your heart. And it's interesting as we're talking about giving here, just a couple chapters earlier we read this verse. Give, so this is not true for the greedy person. The greedy person, he's holding on to everything he has and he won't, he won't let go. Those fingers are stingy and tight. But what you miss out on when you start to give, you give and it'll be given to you. You start allowing your hands to open up, your heart to open up and start giving like God is the great giver and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. One of my favorite verses, running over, will be put into your bosom. And then this is interesting, for with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. A actually, God says, by you're determining how generous I'm going to be to you. If you're a greedy, stingy person, and it's very hard for you to give to the poor and to give to others and to give to God, then you know what? You're, that's how God will deal with you. He'll, he'll give very little to you. But you know what? When God does a work by your spirit and you start to give, I remember when I got saved, 18 years old, it was one of the first things I went from, all I want to do is have a home in Huntington Harbor and have my own business and be rich. The very first change of my heart was, I want to start tithing. 18 years old, I want to start giving. There's something in me, I, I want to, I want to, my heart's different. I want to give. And man, has this been my life given. It has been given to you, good measure. Boy, Susie and I, we just marvel how pressed down, shaking together, running over, God has put into our lives. And then the, the next verse talks about giving too. Luke eleven forty two. Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you. He's warning them. He's grieved over the, all of their outward uh, religion, but how the, uh, their hearts are wicked. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs. They had, the Jews had their herb gardens. Actually, they still do when you go to Israel today. Everyone has an herb garden and all the fresh herbs they have and all their food. But the, the religious uh, Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, they would actually, of all the little seeds, nine seeds for me, one seed for God. Nine leaves for me, one leaf for God. And, and they had all their herbs, and they were so separated. I'm separated to God. Even my pepper, one is for him, and nine are for me. I mean, I'm separated to God. Even our herbs we and spices we tithe to God. And Jesus says, woe to you, this outward behavior. You tithe outwardly. You have all this, you know, micro, you know, tithing going on of even your spices. But you pass by justice. And the love of God, you're not doing what's right on the inside. These, these huge things that are wrong, what you're doing, and you do it. And you, you pass over the love of God. There's no love in your life for others. You're so harsh. You're so cold. You're so cutting. That's what religious people are. They're harsh. They're cold. They're cutting. They cut with the, the sharpness of their lives and the way that they respond to the situations of life. And and he says, you, you pass by justice and the love of God. Now, this is really, this is a powerful, powerful verse that I'm wrestling to know what to do with it. These you ought, or it can be translated must, these you must 
you must do, or these you ought to have done. Right? That's the same Greek word must as a, you must be born again. No, Jesus is the name, no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. And Jesus says here, it's, it's, it's uh, worth meditating on. He says, uh, these you, you must do. That's not speaking of tithing without leaving the others undone. So you must tithe, but you don't want to be those that are passing over uh, justice and the love of God. So it's interesting, this whole conversation of what does the Bible teach about tithing? And then some people are quick to say, that's the Old Testament. That's the law, the tithing. Don't, don't be putting us under the law. Well, I think what it's going to end up being, I'm going to do a separate message on this verse on just what does the Bible teach about tithing? Because I've studied it my whole life, and actually tithing is taught before the law, in the law, and now Jesus teaches it after the law. Tithe just means a tenth. And, and the Old Testament says a tenth belongs to God. That's why they're tithing their spices, because they know a tenth belongs to God. That's just, I think that's just, the New Testament, there is this grace giving. God's been so gracious to us, so we graciously give to the poor, give to others, give to God's work. I think the tithe is just a place to start. You you know what is kind of sad about, um, you know, as I deal with this whole subject? I thought of only teaching this verse this morning, but we're going to finish the chapter. Maybe I'll come back to it. But you know what's so sad? Like at our church, it's a very small percentage of people that give regularly. Look, I mean, look what God has done. We're like 50 acres, amphitheater, this thriving church, and it's a very small percentage of people that give regularly. More people don't give than give at Calvary Corvallis. And I think for a lot of people, they just think, you know what, I I don't make much money. I don't have hardly any. I mean, what we make, are you kidding? The little we make, like there's people at this church, this big, nice church, they, they, they have so much money, they should be giving. But, you know, you just think, can you imagine what our church could be? What it could be if every one of us were saying, yeah, it doesn't matter how much I make, I just... I give to God not out of my leftovers, the Bible teaches. If I give out of my leftovers, I got nothing left. But we give to God first. And then everything else follows that. And, and well, on and on are, are the teachings when it comes to tithing. And we'll, we'll, we'll circle back. We'll spend a lot more time on this message, maybe on the right Sunday. And um, you're like, hey, Rob, can you tell me which Sunday that is? I don't really want to come I'll surprise you, okay? Just come, you'll, you'll be surprised. So we'll keep reading Luke eleven forty three. 43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats, right? It's religion. I like the best seats. I love position. I sit in the front of the synagogue. We face the people. They all look at us, the separated ones, like that. I just, I like that a lot, you know? And, and they love the recognition, that people recognize them. You're the spiritual leaders. But again, this is outward. Verse 44, woe to you, scribes. So it's no longer just woe to you, Pharisees. Like, he's just grieving over them. He's so sad for, for what has just become outward religion. And if we're not careful, that, that's what can happen to us. We outwardly do church, we outwardly are Christians, but then there's dark parts in our life that that's, that's off limits to God. And it's um, what we're reading about what's happening with these religious leaders. And he says, woe to you, sadness, grief, even anger, you, you hypocrites. So in this uh, day and age, everybody knew the, the hypocrites in the theater were the hypocrite is two Greek words, hypocrites, which means mask wearer. And the actors would wear these big exaggerated masks as part of their acting, but then underneath was the real person. And that's what Jesus is accusing them of. They've got their big religious mask they put on. But inside, it's all kinds of death and, dark, and darkness and uncleanness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're pretending to be these God people, 
but really you're living these dark lives. For you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. So uh, in, G- in Matthew's gospel, he calls them, they're like whitewashed graves or whitewashed tombs because the Jewish people uh, paint the outside of the graves white. And they look very clean. But underneath the, the, the clean white grave is death and darkness. And uh, Jesus says, that's how you guys are. You have this appearance of being outwardly clean and religious, and people aren't even aware of the dark wickedness that's going on in your hearts. And uh, then one of the lawyers, who, who would be a scribe, <laughs> one of the lawyers speaks up and answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, it was okay when you were talking about the Pharisees, but, <laughs> but now, you're, now you're insulting us. Now we're the, the lawyers, you know what a lawyer is. A, a lawyer is an expert in the law. They devote their whole lives to the law. Well, lawyers in Judaism devoted their whole lives to the law of God. They made all the interpretations of what the law meant. And, and, and the Lord says, woe to you. Not only the Pharisees, you scribes that are here. How sad, how grieving it is where you're at. Even perhaps an, a hint of anger at what they're doing. And he says in verse 46, Woe to you, also lawyers. <laughs> Look at Alex in law school. Woe to you, uh, lawyers. <laughs> and um, funny, I know you were thinking that too as I paused, Alex. Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Very religious people. Uh, Just load people up with all the religious rules, but then they find a way that they don't have to do the same thing that they're loading on the people. And often religion does. It loads people down with rules and regulations that, that you can't even keep. And that's what the Jewish uh, leaders were doing. And they had actually counted 613 commandments in the law. 613. 365 do nots. 248 do's. So if you're a faithful Jew, every day of your life you're trying to not do hundreds of things and to do a couple hundred things if you're going to be right with God. How do you think that left people feeling? It's what Jesus is so angry about. You, woe to you, you load men up with all of these burdens hard to bear. You yourselves know it can't be done, and yet the people are so crushed under all this religion. And of course, this is going to come, uh, what Jesus calls out in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, we'll bring it up. He says, come to me, all who labor. This is the Jewish people and are heavy laden. They're trying to do all. I got to do, 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 do. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, wait, I'm not doing. And I did do that. And, and they're just so loaded up. And Jesus is calling to those people, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And we'll read that whole passage at the end. But I just want to point out that's who Jesus is calling. People that are so burdened with religious do's and don'ts, they can't do it. They want to do it because they love God, but the leaders, they're just putting stuff on them that they can't even do. And then verse 47, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets. Oh, what marvelous men. They have such respect for our forefathers. But it's your forefathers who killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approved the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them. You would have have done the same thing. In fact, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to kill Jesus. And you, you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. That's what this chapter is about. God is going to judge this generation. He's going to judge our generation. From the blood of Abel that they killed to the blood of Zechariah, from A to Z, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, 
a day of reckoning is coming. What you've been doing is going to come in the light. It's going to be required of this generation. And verse 52, woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. This is where he starts to become no doubt, as in other places, that it's not just sadness and grief, it's anger. That Jesus is the key of knowledge. You'll never have the knowledge, the true knowledge of God and of yourself and of sin and life and death until you come to Jesus. He said, I'm the door and he who enters in by me will be saved. But they, they were not entering in. And Jesus is, is, is angry with them, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You, you won't enter in yourselves. You won't repent. The kingdom's within your reach, but you won't take it. And those, those who were entering in, you, you're hindering. You're standing in the way of people from coming to me and having the knowledge that God wants them to have. And in another place, he said this to the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, in John 5, he said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. You, you have all, all your outward studying of the scriptures and you think you're God's people because you have the scriptures. But these are they which testify of me. But interesting, that last line, isn't it? But it was not an issue of evidence. It's an issue of the will. Because the evidence was there. I mean, Jesus proved by his healings and miracles that he was who he said he was. But you were not willing to come to me that you may have life. And I wonder, I wonder if that couldn't be you. Like up to this point, it's been outward. It's not bad what it's been. There's been some really good outward things, but you haven't yet been willing to come to Jesus in a way that your heart is cleansed and changed and every part of your life is brought into the light and you're born again and you're changed and you're clean. And, and we read on in our chapter, Luke eleven fifty three, 53, as we just, just about finish here, the chapter. And as he said these things to them, the... the they began to hate the light. The darkness, like we read earlier, began to hate what they were hearing. And so as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him. Vehemently means passionately. I mean, he had touched a nerve with them. And they were angry. They weren't about to repent and come to him and acknowledge that he's the key. They, they now want to put him to death. And they're vehemently against him, cross-examining him about many things and lying in wait for him. And eventually they're going to lie in wait for him and take him and kill him on the cross. And seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. And so that, that's where our, uh, our chapter finishes. That's where we're going to finish this morning. But having this fresh in our minds, I want to go back to that Matthew 11 passage and pull it up. Because never... Will you have it so clear in your mind what this verse means? What it means is come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. It's religious people trying to do, 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 and they can't do it. And they're trying not to do that, and don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that, and they can't not do it. And they're, they're so weighed down, they're so heavy. And, and Jesus says, you know, you've got to come to me. This is why I came. So you could have rest. And uh, Jesus uses language here that, like, it's, it's um, illustrative. It's, the illustrations are so, even the most common, unlearned person could go, I get it. I know what he's saying. A farm, I know all about a farm. My oxen, he's, you know, he's not talking like a religious person. He's talking like everyday people can understand him. And, and they understand about a yoke of oxen and the, the plow and how the yoke would go over the two oxen's shoulders and they would pull that, that plow by the weight of the yoke on them. And he says, take my yoke upon you. 
Here, come over here with me. We'll be a team of, of oxen together. You come under it with me. Take my yoke. And I want you to just learn from me. What, what, what am I asking of you? Learn from me. And you can turn to the that's next part of the verse. For I'm gentle. Not like the religious leaders that harshly demanded the people to do, 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 do. He says, I'm very gentle and I'm very humble or lowly in heart. And if you'll come to me, that's the call of salvation. You've got to come to me. And you've got to come under the yoke with me. And let me pull the heavy weight of you being right with God. Let me pull all the do's and all the do nots. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He, he lived a perfect life for 33 years. He kept every command perfectly. And then he died on the cross for sins, not his own sins, for yours. And when you put your faith in Jesus, his perfect righteousness is put in your account. And your sin is put upon him at the cross where he paid the debt you couldn't pay. And Jesus is saying, you got to come to me. Come, come, take my yoke. Come under the yoke with me. Let me pull the weight of you being right with God. And just learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm, I'm humble. You'll actually find rest. This is something religion can't give you. Religion can't give you rest for your soul. Religion leaves you restless because you're not doing enough. Religion, you have to do and do and do and do. But when you come to Jesus, he did it all at the cross. That's why he cried out, it is what? Finished. He finished the work. You can enter that and, and have rest for your soul. You're right with God, not based on your own record, but based on Christ's record. So again, you can see why we brought this up, because you'll never see it clearer than when uh, studying the, like, the type of chapter we're in today. For my yoke is easy. That You don't live under this great big burden of what you've got to do. I always got to do. I got to do, do, do. I'm not doing, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. You know, that, that's the enemy's tactic. One of the tactics of the enemy is to nullify the cross. And he wants you to live your whole life based on if you're doing enough or not doing enough. And the result will be you'll live your whole Christian life condemned. Not a very good dad. Not, not a very good dad. I should be a better dad. I should be a better husband. Not a very good husband. Not a very good man. Not, not a very good man at all. Not, and you're just your whole life condemned. And that's the enemy's plan to nullify the cross. Jesus wants you to come for him and learn, learn that his yoke is actually easy. He pulls the weight for you. It's not a big heavy. He, he just wants you close to him. He just wants you right next to him all through your life. He just wants your whole life. You're just learning from him. You're just talking to him. Lord, what should I do in this situation? How do I handle this? How, how, could, I, how could I be the, the, the best husband in this situation? How could I, as a dad, Lord, what could I do? And he just wants you to go through life learning from him. He's very gentle the way he'll respond to you and, and uh, very humble. Well, one, one last verse we'll look at just with our, our message being called Inside Out, because we've been reading of the Jews' um, religion is outside, but it never changes the inside. And what we read about in the Gospels, what we read about in the New Testament is from the inside out, and nowhere do we see that clearer, and I think it's a good place to finish today. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, one, one of the passages that I just love because I'm in this passage, and so are most of you. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? If, you, if you're living an unrighteous lifestyle, if you're living a sinful lifestyle, if you're living in darkness, now, that's the key. If you're practicing it, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Whatever title is on you, Protestant, Catholic, Christian, whatever, Paul says, don't be deceived. 
neither fornicators. That if you're living a lifestyle where you're practicing sex before marriage, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Are you saying I lost my salvation? I'm just saying you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Maybe you never were saved if you're living in a lifestyle of sex before marriage. Or maybe you are saved and the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you're at the breaking point and it shows, oh no, you're truly saved under tremendous conviction and you need to yield and, and repent. But neither fornicators nor idolaters, if you're living for something other than God, nor adulterers, if you're married and you're involved in other relationships, if you're practicing that, if you're practicing a homosexual lifestyle, or a sodomite, which is someone submitting to a homosexual lifestyle, nor thieves, nor covetous. If you're, if you're living a lifestyle where you're ripping people off, if, you're, if your heart is you're just one greedy pursuit after another is what you live for, that, that your heart's not right. Nor uh, covetous could be greedy, nor drunkards. If you're living a life and you're constantly being drunk, don't be deceived, nor revelers is talking about foul-mouthed slanderers. There's, your mouth is always spewing foul things and slander, nor extortion. You're ripping people off. He says it again. We'll inherit, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But this is why, you say, well, this is one of your favorite passages. This is why it's one of my favorite passages. Look at the next part. This is Rob Verdine. This is what an incredible work was happening in this wicked city, Corinth. Fornication was the norm. Adultery was the norm. Homosexual was the norm. Ripping people off and filthy language. But such were some of you. But you were washed. Not washing of hands. It's talking about your sin being washed away. You were, it's talking about the heart. You were sanctified. So that would just be to ask yourself, has the inward happened to me? Have I been washed in my heart of all my sins, sanctified, set apart? Have I been set apart that my life is no longer set apart for the world? I'm in this world, but I'm set apart for God, a doctor for God, a business owner for God. Uh, uh, you know, whatever you do in this life, you're sanctified for God. But you were justified, right? That's that theological word that means Christ's righteousness has been put in your account. God slams the gavel down in heaven that Robert Ein is now righteousness, righteous. A deposit has been made. You know, you check your account, you get online, you check, what's my balance? You check your balance, whoa, righteousness is in my account, all of Christ's righteousness has been deposited in my account. That's justification. All my sin he bore at the cross. So are you religious? Hoping to get better in your heart? Hoping I'll get better and better, deeper and deeper? Or have you been washed and have you been sanctified? Have you been justified by the name of the Lord Jesus? That's that name that will change your heart. Right? That's the name. That name that our world takes in vain. That's why we're so sensitive to, to people taking that name in vain because it, it washes us, sanctifies us, justifies us in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Let's bow our heads, would you?